This is Neon Radio, episode 134, with best-selling author Mark Manson. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Neon Radio. I'm very excited to announce today's guest. He has sold over 2 million copies in over 25 languages of his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. His name is Mark Manson. He is an incredible writer. He is a really, really cool dude. We've become friends over the last few months, actually, since the interview we did. But before we dive in, just a couple of things to make a note of. We are starting a Neon Life community features. So we want to feature your work. And to do that, jump over into the Neon Life community on Facebook. And then you can do that over at neonlife.com slash community. That'll take you to the community where we have instructions in there on how to get featured. So jump in there, comment, Introduce yourself and tell the group who you would love to collaborate with. I really, really love Mark's writing. And when we set up the interview, I went to go and do some research. And I actually dug into his website, uh, markmanson.net. He's got tons of great short articles on life, relationships, creativity, and just topics that are relevant to today's day and age. So go check that out. You can even subscribe to his site, to get the audio versions of all the articles and some locked articles that you can't read if you're not a member. But check it out. It's really, really great stuff. And what I'm really excited about is talking to him today on the podcast about his creative process and how he goes about writing and how the book has blown up over the last year and what that's done for him. We also talked about how he has taken a lot of different concepts and packaged them up into a different digestible format and how a lot of his background has come through a lot of research and branding and packaging and and how do you take that and package it to communicate something very easily to a big audience, which essentially is what this book is all about Also, we have created a Neon Life quiz that will get you prescribed content for where you are in your creative journey. So go over to neonlife.com slash quiz. That's N-I-O-N-L-I-F-E dot com slash quiz and take the test. And it just gives us more insights as to content that would be great for you, for us to create. And we're very excited for this year. We want to help you as much as we possibly can and serve you in your creative journey to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. So with that, without further ado, I give you the one, the only, Mr. Mark Manson. What's up, everyone? We have Mr. Mark Manson in the house today. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey. Mark wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And we're going to talk a lot about not giving fucks today. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Thanks for having on. me. Cool. So Mark and I met through the Brotherhood Mastermind that we're a part of. And uh, not only I want to talk about not giving fucks, but I want to really dive into the writing process and, and hear you, a lot about your process. So uh, let's kind of get like an overview of how you actually came to writing the book. Mm-hmm. And then we'll dive in from there. So the I think the original inspiration for the book was I really wanted to write I wanted to write a book about pain mm. and and why pain is important because I think kind of in the in the industry that I'm lumped into the self-help industry um pain is very much seen as something that you're always trying to like get rid of or mm. or um avoid you know yeah and um and that this, like, there's this idea, like, this perfect happiness that you can, if you just learn the right thing and work hard enough, you can achieve this this perfect happiness and then you'll never feel pain. There'll never be problems. And and so I really wanted to write a book that 
argued argued for pain. It was like a defense of pain and problems, like basically saying we need pain and problems in our lives um, because that's what determines what's important to us. And so everything kind of just extended from that. Yeah. Yeah. And what were you going through in your life that kind of led up to this spark? Well, I think, so most of my 20s, I, I, w- I had a lot of kind of conventional goals, I guess, uh, in my 20s. You know, like I wanted to, wanted to build a business and be, you know, have financial freedom and, you know, like do something, create a career that like I enjoyed a lot and travel the world and have all these experiences. And so like a lot of what motivated me and drove me uh, in those years was it was kind of these just conventional goals of like, I want to travel to five countries next year. And then like, I'd go out and do it. Or like, I want to get my business. I want to get my blog readership up to like a hundred thousand people. And then I would go do it. And I did that for years and years. And I was very successful at a lot of that. And after about seven or eight years, like I, I started to realize that like none of this was actually necessarily making anything better. And what I mean by that is like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, money's always good. Like we, we all like money and we all like fun and we all like doing new things or being successful at what we do. But like, just like setting out these goals to like, for, for more pleasure or more happiness, like it wasn't actually leading me anywhere that felt meaningful or important. Um, and so I, I, I sat, I kind of like had this mini existential crisis around like, what's the point of all this? Like, <laughs> like why am I working so hard and like traveling so much and doing all this, this like shit that sounds amazing on paper. But then at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, well, what was the point of that? Like, why, why did I put so much energy into that? Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of, for me personally, that was the starting point It's like, yeah. okay, like what is actually like, let's back up for a second. Like what, what actually is important in our lives? Like what, how do I decide like what actually matters to me? Um, yeah. And like, what, what was it? Do you discover that did matter to you? What, what I actually started to discover is that, you know, the, some of the biggest things for me were, uh, were relationships. And, and I don't, I don't mean like not just intimate relationships. I mean like, like friendships, um, you know, one, side effect of being so goal oriented and working so hard all the time and traveling so much, like a lot of my relationships suffered. And I remember I had, I actually wrote an article about this years and years ago. I had this kind of crazy experience where I remember I went to the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China and Machu Picchu all within like three months of each other. And, and in the middle of that, I went home for Christmas and actually like going home for Christmas was like the best part. And I remember like sitting there and realizing that and that just blew my mind. I was like, yeah. that was actually the best week out of the last three months. Um, you know, seeing my childhood friends and like hanging out with my mom. Um, and that was kind of a wake up call. It was like, all right, dude, I think you went overboard here. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like the Great Wall of China is cool, but you know, calm down a second. Like (laughs) sometimes, you know, one of the points I end up making in the book is that often the things that we consider boring in our lives, they're boring for a reason. It's because they're like, they're, they're fundamental to like being a healthy person, you know, like hanging out with your mom at Christmas. It sounds really boring because it happens all the time. And the reason it happens all the time is because it's the most important thing (laughs) you can do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you know, I guess it's, I feel like so much of the things, especially, I mean, we talk, we'll have conversation about social media, but what we do is about the external validation of our lives. And it sounds like that that's what that traveling around the world and all that stuff was feeding. Yeah. A lot of it was getting caught up in that, you know, like there was... I think one thing that's kind of fascinating with all the, the, the technology and the social media stuff now is that I think creating a narrative about ourselves has seem, seemingly become much more important uh, than it used to be, you know, like, because everybody now, whatever you're doing with your life, like everybody is potentially aware of it. 
like all your friends, all your family, everybody. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it suddenly becomes really important of like making a cool narrative that other people can see. And, um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of that, is, and I don't even think it's conscious. It's not like you sit down and you're like, okay, what's the coolest thing I can do this week? Um, I think it's, it just starts influencing us without yeah. even realizing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, we start giving too many fucks about what other people think. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's been around forever. It's just, I think, you know, I think the internet is just kind of, uh, multiplied the opportunities for that. You know, it's like, it's just created so many more, uh, so much more potential to like get caught up in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the book talks a lot about that too, in the sense of like really choosing what you actually want to give a fuck about yeah what what would you what would be your advice in in choosing your priorities so kind of my go-to advice is is actually you know most advice is is all about like to make your life better you should be adding things you know like oh you should like take on more projects and meet more people and and make more money and do more things and and one of the things that i i talk about a lot is is removing things, even if it's just for a short period of time, because you don't really understand how important something is until it's gone. Mm. Um, and a lot of times it's amazing for me in my life. Like I'm often shocked at how removing things or like simply stop doing things like is really terrifying at first. And then after I stop, I'm like, Oh wait, my life's actually better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whereas other things, like there are tons of things that you take for granted Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you stop doing them and you, and you realize like it makes you miserable. So, um, yeah. Like what would, what would be an example of, of some things that you gave up and, and you realize that you missed and some things that you realize you didn't miss. So like partying, for instance, like I just, it wasn't even really conscious, but like, I think my 25 year old self would like if you, if you made him like stay at home and watch Netflix on all weekend, like he would cry. Like he'd be like, (laughs) like what has happened to me? Um, but it was, you know, there was a period a few years ago where I just kind of stopped partying for a while. And, um, and I was shocked how much better my life got, (laughs) you know, and that's not to say that you shouldn't party. That's just to say that, I was spending way too much time and energy caring about something that wasn't adding much to my life. Like, um, I, I was overvaluing it basically. Mm. Um, you know, and then, and then the other examples is simple stuff like, you know, seeing old friends or family members, you know, like I, I went years and years without seeing them losing touch with a lot of them. And then it, it wasn't until that happened that I realized like, Oh wait, I took these people for granted. Um, I wasn't appreciating them as much. Like they're way more important than I thought they were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely, I've been, I've I've also realized in the last few years of how important family is. Yeah. Uh, As you said, it's, it's, it can be boring. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's family is one of those things where I I think the value, like the part of the problem is the value is not obvious. Right. So like, and this is a weird paradoxical thing. With, with like relationships is that generally the better a relationship is, the more boring it is. Like if you think of like, think about all the couples, think about like all the couples that are 70 years old, been married for 40 years and like still happy. <laughs> They're really fucking boring. Like they've never had any drama. They've never like, you know, w- neither one of them ever went crazy and like bought a Ferrari with everybody with their savings. Like it, it, <laughs> they've had a bore, like what we would consider a boring life, but it's like, that is also, that's a side effect of them being their intimacy being so successful. And I think that comes up with family too. Like, like, yeah, I go home and I hang out with my parents and by like the third day, I'm like, uh, okay. Like, <laughs> like when, when am I, when can I go? Like, Um, but it's, it's the fact that, that it's so, it's so comfortable and so unstimulating is actually like a sign of, of how deep the intimacy is and how, how deep like the comfort is. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's jump back, back a little bit. What were some of the struggles that you went through that got you into this personal development world and started exploring that? Um, 
so I mean, I was, I was always kind of interested in this stuff, even when I was a teenager. Um, I talk about in the book, like I had a pretty miserable adolescence, um, you know, broken family and, um, got in a lot of trouble at school and, you know, got kicked out of school, lost friends. Um, and so I, I kind of, by the time I was like 15 or 16, um, I really found, I guess, my safe haven in music and books, you know? Yeah. And, and I just, I became intensely interested in just all kind of like psychological, philosophical topics from a very early age. And then it was when I was in my twenties that I I started getting into the self-help thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, like, Oh cool. I can learn how to like make more friends and (laughs) make money while I sleep. You know, that sounds great. I'll go buy this book. Um, and so it, it was always a very like big part of my life. Like just, forever i guess yeah yeah I've, i mean I've, I've recently discovered it the last like few years like really yeah. been on a track i've always been kind of uh very self i've been self-aware to a certain extent and yeah and did some did some like actual some work a few years ago and really opened my eyes to a whole different world yeah it's a whole different possibility yeah one thing i i i i say a lot that there there are two types of people in the self-help world, which is there are people there who are there to fix a problem. And it's usually cause like something painful happened and they're there to like get advice and see how to move forward. And then there are people who it's just like a hobby. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's something about it that it's just, it's fun for them. For me, it's like all the, it's kind of the intellectual side of it. It's, it's the concepts around it, the psychology of it. Um, but for other people, it's like, it becomes their community and their network and, and yeah. Um, Absolutely. How would you say it's helped you navigate your creative career? Um, I think, I mean, it's funny because it's something I very much fell into. Like I, I never, I didn't set out planning to be like a personal development author, you know, like I never thought I was going to be a writer. I graduated school, um, in 2007. So it was just in time for like the worst job market of the last 80 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like, I literally like I finished school and it's like, Hey, guess what? There are no jobs <laughs> like <laughs> anywhere. Um, and so I, uh, I read Tim Ferriss's book for our work week and I was like, well, shit, I know how to make a web page. Like, <laughs> and I have nothing, I'm already broke. Like I have nothing to lose. So, um, I kind of just went for it. And then, Back then, this is like 2008, 2009. Back then, blogging was kind of like all the rage. It was like if you had a website and you were trying to make money with it or get traffic, like everybody was like, you got to have a blog. Like right. it's it's just a thing everybody, it's like it's it's like having like an Instagram account now or a YouTube <laughs> channel. Like back then, everybody had to have a blog. So um, I had a blog and I started writing on it. And I guess maybe two years into it, three years into it, uh, I discovered that I was bad at selling stuff but i was a really good writer like people liked the writing like nobody was buying anything i was trying to do like i wasn't (laughs) making any money but people really liked my writing um and so that's when i decided like hey like maybe this is the thing i should be doing yeah love that yeah so how did you actually make that transition to i don't know what were you doing before to pay the bills and then how did you transition to actually making money with your writing yeah i mean Early on, I mean, I, I was trying, I was trying a lot of like embarrassing spam, spammy shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, I was just like, I just want to make enough money to like pay rent and, you know, drink beer with my friends. And, yeah. um, and I, like, I did, I barely even got to that point. Um, I mean, early on I was doing, so, so I, I knew how to do like some basic web design. Yeah. Um, so I was doing some freelance work early on. Um, most of the sites that I, that I set up or tried to set up, it was mostly like affiliate type stuff. So, um, you know, I'd find some niche and build like a really spammy website and try to get ranked on SEO really quickly. And then like push like some crappy supplement or something. And I'd make like, I'd make like 30 bucks, you know, it, it would be like three months of work and then I'd make like $30, you know, and it was just like completely like uneconomical and it, it was awful. 
And then I end the the only the thing that I created that started to kind of take off was was a dating advice site. Um, and actually, that was the blog that started to take off. Got it. Um, and so, and originally with that, I was doing some kind of like affiliate stuff and and some consulting. And then, um, and then it was after a couple of years, I was I was like, you know what, I should like write a book and create a course and do all that stuff. So that's that's what that was like my first, I guess, functional business. Got it. Did you ever like have like a real job? Um, for about two months. Really? <laughs> yeah. What was um, this real job? I worked at a bank in Boston. Awesome. Uh, yeah, an investment bank. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know why. Honestly, <laughs> it's one of those things I look back on. I was like, "What was I thinking?" Um, but yeah, I I I was miserable. I was completely miserable, and I hated it. And uh, you know, I I left to go do the internet thing, which is probably better because I probably would have gotten fired eventually anyway <laughs> it's so funny we all have our, our like jobs i used to be a, a cutco knife salesman what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how does that happen you know going through college i you know i went to community college and there's yeah. these little flyers and it's like oh make money in your part-time <laughs> little do you know you go and you sign up for this thing you go to this this orientation they're like you can make this much money. You can make your own schedule selling knives. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow Sounds I great. made it through like a year <laughs> of selling like $50,000 with the knives. It's funny. It's funny. The ideas you get and call it like, I, like, I feel like, um, uh, I feel like the education system maybe isn't geared very well to like pushing creatives in the right direction. Like, even if you like, go major in like a creative like if you go and like do art or like you know photography or theater or whatever like I feel like they're like all the people like I never knew I was even a good writer like yeah I, I like no teacher ever told me that my entire <laughs> life <laughs> and and like all my all the kids that I know in school who like majored in English and creative writing like they're like I don't know, selling insurance or something. So like, I don't know what, what, what's going on. Like, I don't know how this happens and how did, how did I think that investment banking was going to like right. make any sense whatsoever? I feel like, I feel like that's the, uh, like all the popular kids in high school and, and college all end up just like doing nothing. <laughs> so it's the Al Bundy effect. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the dorks and the nerds, we all like discovered this whole plane of life that's completely different <laughs> our, uh, our secret talents that nobody knew about exactly yeah so after you uh started selling all this stuff uh, how did you get into like the publishing world like getting you know be making money with that so the dating thing started doing doing pretty well and then i wrote i self-published a book it's called uh models attract women through honesty and it was basically the idea of the book was to i felt like 95% of the advice for men out there at the time was just like garbage. It was, it was basically like, here's how to like, here, let's try to manipulate women into sleeping with us together, you know? And, yeah. um, and I felt, I felt very strongly at the time that like there needed to be some sort of like kind of emotionally healthy version of like advice for men yeah. um, on just how to behave and how to treat women. And, um, so I wrote that and, and it blew up. It became really successful. And that was kind of the first time of like where I was like, oh shit, I could like be a writer, you know? Yeah. Um, so from there, I, uh, I took my, my site and, I, and I, instead of just writing about like dating and relationships, I started writing about um, just personal development in general. Um, that was like 2013. Uh, and then from like 2013 through 2015, the site just blew up. I mean, by by mid 2015, it was doing like two to two and a half million visitors each month. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and like at that point, like publishers are like banging on your door in the middle of the night, you know, because like amazing. Yeah. Once you start hitting those numbers and people find out about them, um, you start getting a lot of interest. And so it was around that time too, that I had started having the ideas that would form subtle art. Um, and so grabbed an agent and went out there and saw, 
you know yeah you know what, what the market thought of me what the publishers thought of me you know just grabbed an agent no big deal yeah yeah right <laughs> it's just like hmm i think i'll take this one <laughs> exactly well i mean it's amazing i love i love your work and i mean i like i, I was telling you earlier I, i've heard you know i read the subtle art and then when we i started diving into your site and i was like wow there's so many great articles there's so many and then i found models and I really, and I read that book. It was really great. And I f- it feels like it's like the, uh, you know, how to not give a fuck for men yeah, yeah. book, which is great. <laughs> it's, it's great. I think it's really helpful. And, um, you know, you got so many great articles and your site's great as well. Uh, so what, like what, inf- what, uh, advice would you give to other aspiring writers to get their name out there? Yeah. Um, so like one of my, one of my top pieces of, 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 I guess like I would say like meta advice, and I, and I think this goes for any creative out there, especially if you're going to try to build um, a career like online, like using using the internet to like market yourself. Probably my number one piece of advice, and like everybody hates hearing this, but like you need to study marketing and branding. Like mm-hmm. it's just non-negotiable and people hate hearing this because you know everybody as creatives we all think our ideas are brilliant and we all think that like the world should like stop in their tracks and listen to us um but the fact of the matter is is that you know writing creating something great is just like is half the battle the other half is is finding a way is is basically meeting people where they are in their lives and in the world and and understanding how how are you going to get them to stop and look and at least give you that first like three seconds mm-hmm. for you to win them over? And, you know, one of the big breakthroughs for me, it was funny because I was reading, I started buying a bunch of books on like branding and copywriting and, and marketing and stuff like that. And originally it was for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I really got into the writing, I started seeing how understanding all that stuff was helping me. You know, like if you can brand an idea, like, so, for instance, the only difference between me, like, there, there are basically no new ideas in subtle art. Like, right. 90% of it is, some, like, remix or rehashed version of, or, like, even just retelling stories or research that other people have done. Right. Um, the reason subtle art is, like, sold over a million copies, been number one in the New York Times, is because I've packaged that, uh, both in terms of my, my, my own voice, my own creative voice, but also like understanding, you know, what gets somebody, like what makes somebody stop and pay attention to something? Like what yeah. makes them, what makes an idea exciting to learn about versus like some boring academic paper right. that nobody reads, yeah. you know? And so, and, and I, it, you know, the same concepts apply if you're doing like visual stuff, you're doing photography, like you, you have to understand like, you know, how can you like, brand your work like create like kind of like a a concept or a story around your work Mm -hmm. um that people can easily understand and like latch on to and it's it's a very like unsexy topic learning about it (laughs) but um it's so practical but you've definitely mastered that art and i think that's one of the things i really noticed about looking at your site is you have like these great article names that draw you in but they're not clickbaity yeah and I really, I really appreciate that. I'm like, oh, the, uh, you know, how smart the smartphone is the new cigarette, which is, yeah. uh, it's great. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm like, oh, that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, yeah. you, know, you talked about this a little earlier, but like getting off that, dr- the, the smartphone drug and really focusing on the work that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what inspired that article? Um, probably just me spending like an entire morning on Facebook and being like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> every day every day <laughs> oh i actually i think i remember um i think i i like i went to a dinner or something it was one of those days, and we've all like we've all at this point we've all been at the, at this dinner you go to this dinner there's like say there's eight people there and at any given time like five of them are on their phones and like nobody's listening <laughs> to each other nobody's paying attention to the conversation like people are losing track of the conversation and interrupting each other and it's just because everybody's on their fucking phone the entire time and like I I started I, I remember I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, like just somebody like being at like at dinner with somebody 
and just them pulling out their phone and like checking something it like not only does it like remove them from the conversation but it actually distracts me because now like the person i'm talking to now i have to like pay attention to the thing that the person i'm talking to is paying attention and so i i thought about that and i'm like yeah it's like secondhand smoke like like this person i'm hanging out with has a bad habit but now i'm suffering because like my attention is now suffering because the guy i'm with like can't keep his fucking phone in his pants yeah um <laughs> which sounds funny too um <laughs> And so, yeah, that's when I, that's when the whole cigarette thing kicked in. I'm like, yeah, there's, it, it's like a tension pollution. Like you really like is. pollute the environment you're in if you're on your phone all the time. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that happens in LA all the time. You're just oh, like, God. everybody's like on their phones. Yeah. <laughs> it's, let's say this, it's worse in some places than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it's so true. But I mean, you get, you get sucked into it. It's like almost it's kind of rude at a certain point. Totally. You know, totally. You know maybe, maybe you said like, Oh, phone break. Okay. Wait, but if like, yeah. somebody's just picking up your phone, you know, I, I leave my phone on silent. Do not disturb now. Yeah. Cause and I'm thinking about just other ways of getting rid of it, but it, you know, we were talking about this too, how this is becoming like a new cultural thing. And I think a new, a new facet of that cultural thing is like, people are starting to decide what values they have around smartphones and social media so like for me one thing i've decided for myself in the last year or two is like if i'm hanging out with somebody one-on-one -on -one, like if i'm at dinner like let's say you and i go get dinner like we don't really know each other and all of a sudden like five minutes into dinner you pull out your phone and you start texting people like that to me i find that like you said it's rude like it's something i've decided i'm like oh i'm probably not gonna hang out with this guy again you know like yeah. um and and i think a lot of people are making those decisions um, for themselves and it's and it what it's doing is it's like drawing social lines i had a friend this story's awesome um <laughs> i i had a friend um he just recently became single again he's an older guy he's like 41 or something um and he so he's dating again for the first time in like 10 years and he went on a date he took a girl to a movie and she was like she was younger than him i think she was like 30 um and they get in the movie and like she just pulls out her phone and just starts like texting people in the middle of the movie. And it's, it's bothering the hell out of him. And so finally, after she does it like three times, like he kind of leans over and he's like, Hey, do you mind putting your phone away? Like just wait till the movie's over. And she kind of like gives him this look and she's like, really? Are you like my boss or something? <laughs> and he got up and left. Like he just fucking walked out. <laughs> didn't, didn't say it's anything. Amazing. Just like walked out, got in his car and went home. <laughs> And he said that she like texted him like, where'd you go? <laughs> I told him, I was like, dude, you're my hero, man. Like if I'm ever single again, like I, I hope I can do the same thing in the same situation. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Cause he was like, he's like, he's like, I immediately knew like there's no potential for this relationship. Like none, like yeah. this is just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah it's it is it's a drug but that is that's an amazing story i, I, I love that so good so good uh you know we were talking about like this almost like translates into the creative topic that we were talking about and how like how do you feel social media has drawn or taken away from your creative states well i i find you know one thing i've learned just in the last couple of years is like to really think deeply deeply and creatively um like you need a certain amount there like there's a quantity of time of like uninterrupted focus that's necessary to do that mm -hmm. and what i've noticed is just it just those constant look minor interruptions they they add up really quickly you know so it's like let's say i'm sitting down and i'm writing for a morning or whatever um if I check, like if I get a text or something, that's probably fine. If I'm checking email once, that's fine. But like when I get in that cycle, and I think everybody at this point knows what the cycle is, which is like Facebook, email, Instagram, back to Facebook, <laughs> email, Instagram, you know, and it's just like clearing the notifications constantly. Um, if I do that, or if I like, if I stop like every 10 minutes and do that, mm -hmm. um, it just destroys like I could sit there and try to write all day like it just destroys any ability to like develop those like deep artistic 
insights. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of things do you do to get out of that? So I just started writing my next book and one of the things like it, it, it got so bad, like I couldn't write at home. Like it, there was just too much distraction around. And um, so one thing I started doing, I've got a, a good friend of mine is he's working on his PhD thesis and um, he has an office at, at a university here in town. And that office also has no Wi-Fi. So I was like, he, he, I told him about this and he's like, dude, just come to my, he's like, I'm literally in my office like 12 hours a day working on my dissertation. Like he's like, come down anytime. And so I went down there and I'm my God, I got so much work done. Like <laughs> I got so much, I wrote like 30 pages. It was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that's like just physically removing myself from distraction has been like, I mean, it's pretty extreme, but it's like, yeah. Um, it's been really helpful. I've also, I've also downloaded, you know, like there's some apps like freedom and, and stuff like that, that like you can yeah. block certain sites. And Yeah. I was just looking to this app called moment yeah. uh, for your phone. It apparently tells you, it monitors how much, how many times you open your phone, how, how long you spend really? on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that's scary. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe we should just like open a new workspace. It has no, it's like it got an electronic shield around it. It's like a Wi-Fi free. Yeah. <laughs> Wi-Fi free. Maybe it's like the get shit done. I workspace. remember there was a, I heard about, I don't remember where it was, but there was a bar that opened and they, what they did is they created glasses where the like the glass in the bottom was uneven and the only way you could keep your glass from like tipping over was putting it on top of your phone (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so and then there are other bars i think where it's like you have it's like they have they literally have like a no cell phone policy yeah like if you pull out your phone you'll be asked to leave that's that's a good yeah i I think that that. i think that's in austin i think is where i saw that i like it yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> you got to get extreme, man. I mean, this is this is yeah. It's a new wave, a new culture, new technology, and it's a, yeah, it's a it's a growing issue for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, one thing I did, I just got a new phone last week, and and I intentionally I was like, I'm not downloading Facebook, I'm not downloading Twitter, I'm not downloading like I'm just not even gonna put it on the phone. Yeah, you know, yeah. like somebody somebody really needs me, they can fucking call me. that's true it's true it's true uh let's jump back just a little bit you were finish our conversation around the branding what books do you did you read that influenced and helped you learn these branding ideas yeah um so like the quick and dirty book that i always recommend to people is there's there's a book called the 22 immutable laws of branding Mm. um it's super simple you can read in an afternoon tons of pictures and examples so you like (laughs) If you're not a big, like if you don't love reading, like it's, it, it's just, a, it's a really great breakdown of like understanding, uh, why things are memorable mm. and why things are like grab your attention. Um, so that's a good one. I think for writers out there, I think every writer should at least read one book on copywriting. Mm. Um, you're going to vomit in your mouth like when you read it because <laughs> it's like it's all the stuff you hate it's like you know it, it it's it's the copywriting is is all the stuff like these three strange tricks to get you to lose weight without even trying you know like it, stuff like that that everybody hates i think there's a famous one called breakthrough advertising and um there's another one God, i'm trying to remember um Anyway, Ogilvy has a really famous one, but like the the reason copywriting matters is because like a good copywriting book explains what like holds people's attention in, mm-hmm. in words, like what word, like how do you grab somebody's attention with a sentence and then how do you hold it? Mm. How do you keep it over the course of like paragraphs? And so it's one of these things you know, all, all this stuff like branding, marketing, copywriting, like I, they're tools, right? Like it's like you can use them for evil and you can use them for good. And I, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's no mistake. Like it's not a coincidence. Some of the greatest and most successful writers of the last century actually started as copywriters. Mm. Um, and it like, it's because it trains you to like understand human attention and understand, you know, how to create certain emotions in a reader. Yeah. Um, and that was for, that was the Ogilvy book that you said you read? Uh, so though, I can't remember. So Breakthrough Advertising is like a, a really famous one and a basic one. And then um, 
there's another there's a few like really famous ones they're all written like the 50s right, right. um but like ogilvy was one and then there's a uh, one by claude hopkins that's really famous too I don't remember any of the names. And then something, would it, in terms of like the overall packaging of of a project, is there anything that you that you read about those? Um, you know, when it comes to like design stuff, I'm not. Uh, I mean, the branding will touch on it a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, design stuff. It's always been more just kind of like my art. I've gone on off like my artistic eye, but like the branding yeah. stuff should cover that. Cool. Pretty well. Oh, cool. So what is your, you know, when you're jumping into a project, either whether it's an article or a book, what does your creative process look like? Yeah. Um, I usually set aside uh, three to four hours of like focused work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, early on in my career, I could just sit down and do it. But like, I think these days and I'm, I don't know why maybe it takes more effort maybe I'm old maybe I'm more distracted than I used to be yeah. um I really need to schedule it like it's it's like this is my writing time everything's off phones in the other room you know everything's blocked on my computer uh wife knows not to bother me mm. you know it's it's really just like pure focused work um and then Generally, I just, I, I already have an idea of what I want to write or like what I want to accomplish. Um, I always set my goals. So I don't set a goal around like word count. Like a lot of writers try to do word count. Mm-hmm. And what I find, what I found is back when I used to do word count, like, so I'd set a goal like, okay, I want to do a thousand words a day. What I found is that I would have like three or 400 good words. And then I'd be like the last 30 minutes would be like, oh shit, I need 600 more words. And so I just write a bunch of garbage <laughs> just to hit my thousand word word count. And what I realized is that when you go back and revise or edit, like having those 600 words that were just crap actually creates more work for yourself. Cause now you actually have to figure out like, all right, is any of this worth keeping? <laughs> How is this going to fit in with the other stuff? Like, it, so I decided that it's definitely a quality over quantity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's I, I judge my session by um, really just like, am I getting like some focused output? You know, so if it ends up only being a couple hundred words or a couple thousand, yeah. or I'm just getting a good outline done, um, I, I don't, I try not to judge it too much. And I try to let everybody around me know that like, hey, this article might come tomorrow. It might come in a week. I have no idea. Nice. When you so when you sit down to write, are you always like inspired and you have something to write about, or is there certain times you're just like f- sitting down, forcing yourself to write and yeah. come up with something? Um, I think sometimes you have to. I mean, especially with the books, like there are just going to be days where like you don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really, it's such a large piece of work that like you really need to sit down and force yourself to some days. Um. The thing, though, is that I always look for, like, one thing I learned years and years ago is that if I'm not excited about something, then, like, the readers aren't going to be excited either. So, like, somehow that comes through in whatever I'm putting together. Um, so if I if I find myself working on a section that I'm just like, God, this is tedious or um, or it's just giving me a lot of problems, like, when I'm reading it and thinking about it, um, then I... I, th- I usually just try to delete it or get rid of it because it's, if I don't like it, then nobody else is. Yeah. Where do you typically draw your inspiration from when coming up with articles? Um, mostly, mostly stuff that goes on in my life. I, so there are three places. One, books I read. Um, two, stuff that goes on, like problems I have in my own life. Uh, one, of the, one of like the big misconceptions I get a lot is like, you know, people email me and they're like, who gave you all the answers? Like, you know, since when are you the expert? And I'm like, dude, I wrote about this because like I suck at it. Too. <laughs> you know, like I'm just as screwed up as you are. Uh, that's why I wrote this thing. Um, so my own life, my own issues. And then and then the third is, yeah, I get like uh, uh, tons and tons of reader email. So mm-hmm. if I see if there are certain themes that are popping up consistently in, in reader email, like I'll try to try to address that. Yeah, yeah, and because I know you started the book with an, the settle art with with an article. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did that? How did that article spark? 
so the subtle art of not giving a fuck was I wanted to, I had, had actually the idea for the article was originally just the word fuck. Like <laughs> I thought it would be really funny to, I wanted to like write an article that used the word fuck as many times as possible and in as many offensive ways as possible, but still give like really good advice. And I, I just thought that would be really funny if like you just had this because people are always like I'm vulgar on my site and people are always complaining like, you know, if you cleaned up your your language, like more people would read you. Blah. And and I hate that. Like it just got it, it just got annoying at some point. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write the most vulgar article I can possibly come up with. But I'm also going to put really, really good life advice inside it. <laughs> So that people, like people, are, it's just their heads are going to explode. Like they don't, yeah. they're not even going to know what to do. And so I did that in January, 2015. And uh, man, the thing just exploded. Like it was, I think it got shared on Facebook over a million times. Like I think, wow. I think 11 million people, it got 11 million page views or something like that. Like it was, it was nuts. Like my site was crashing constantly. It, <laughs> no it was, way. it was, it was one of the, one of the most viral articles like I've, ever seen um awesome and the funny thing was was i had already been working on my book on subtle art the book i had already been working on it for like a year oh uh, and so and one of the problems was i had all these great ideas and concepts in it but and i was having conversations with my agent at the time like we were like well we have all these great like i have all these great ideas and concepts but i don't know like what's the big like, what's the title going to be? Like, what's the big idea that's going to kind of like carry people through the book? Yeah. And so when the Subtle Art article like went crazy, like my agent was like, uh, you should definitely call it Subtle Art and not give me a fuck. And I was like, well, okay, screw it. So, you know, that's the new <laughs> chapter one and then everything else comes after. So yeah, um, the first chapter of the book was actually one, like, I think it was the last to be written. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. How long did it take you to to knock out the book after that? It's it's such a funny question. So the first draft of the book took over a year. It took like fifteen months, maybe. Oh wow! Um, and it, it's interesting because I kind of did it out of order that most authors do it. And I wrote the first draft first, and then I went and got an agent and a publisher. And and a lot of that just worked out due to like the blog's growth, you know. So when I started the book, I kind of just assumed like. I might self-publish it. We'll see what happens. Um, and then the blog grew so much that I ended up getting an agent and a publisher. Yeah. And so the second draft was then, once I was signed and had a book deal, all I had to do was the second draft. And so the second draft took three or four months. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So now, I think in this world of self, so much external validation, and I mean, we all give way too many fucks about what people think, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what would be the mental, if you were to give people somebody advice, what would be the mental process of walking somebody through the idea of getting them to not give any fucks about what other people <laughs> think? So my, like, everybody, this is like the perennial question, right? How do I stop caring what people think? Like, how do I stop worrying about what people think? 100%. Yeah. The thing is, is that it is part of, like, what makes it, if you didn't care what anybody thought at any time, you would, by definition, be a psychopath. Like, that <laughs> is literally what a psychopath is. It's somebody who has no empathy for anybody <laughs> <Right>. whatsoever. <laughs> and so, like, a point I, I always try to make is, like, all right, the goal here is to not, is the, is the the goal here is not to stop caring, you know, like obviously you care what your, you know, your, your family thinks and what your best friend thinks. Like, yeah. that's why you, that's, <laughs> that's why you have a family and a best friend. Like yeah. that's why they're there. Um, my argument is always that, so my argument is always, it's not, it's not that we caring that what people think is not the problem. It's the prioritization of what people think. So mm -hmm. the problem comes is when we make what other people think value number one like it is the most important thing in our life mm -hmm. um and so it's the solution is not getting rid of it the solution is simply putting other making other things more important Got making it. making other developing other values and and 
this can happen for a few reasons. Like putting putting other people's opinion number one can happen for a few reasons. One, you know, one it can be you just don't have anything else. Yeah, you know, you just have nothing else to do or nothing nothing else important going on in your life. Um, another reason is that you, you know you had a bunch of like really painful experiences early in your life. And so you're extremely sensitive to what other people think. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so there's different solutions, you know, everybody mileage is going to vary for each person, but like the basic solution is like finding other things that are more important. And then also putting your opinion of yourself at the same level mm -hmm. as, as if not higher than, you know, what other people care about. Absolutely. Yeah. And not being run by it. Yes. Got it. Got it. So now how would you take this same idea and translate this into, or just uh, give advice for somebody pushing through and growing their career and creativity? Yeah. I think creativity is weird because like we all, we're all influenced by each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to be influenced. Like it's, I think it's healthy. Um, but it, it's, you can't, there's like a certain line at some point where you're just mimicking yeah. and then that becomes a problem. Uh, so I think, I think it's useful to like, and especially early on, I think mimicking is maybe more useful. Like if you're, if you're like really young or you're still in school or you're still trying to find yourself, like it can actually be a useful exercise, to like mm. mimic somebody else's work. I remember back when I was uh, really like first giving writing a go, like I actually, sat down. I was like, all right, I'm going to do a blog post. Like what if Hemingway wrote a blog post? I'm going to try to write like Hemingway for a post. And I saw how that felt and, mm -hmm. uh, didn't like it. And so I stopped doing it, you know, but I did that with a few writers and, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, David Foster Wallace was an amazing writer. So if I write just like him, I'll be amazing too. It was more like, like, what does this feel like? Mm -hmm. Does this, does this feel good to me? Like what, what are the little things that I can kind of steal from him yeah. and add to my own palette? Um, and so I, I think that's kind of the healthy way to do it is like pick and choose little things from people you admire and, and then, yeah. And then recombine them in a completely new way. Yeah. How do you handle feedback and criticism uh, with your work? So that's another thing early on. Honestly, like I, I, and I think this is a really important message to anybody who wants to have a creative career, like you are going to have to get desensitized to it. Like it's just, I think it's just a fact of the career. You're going to, you're going to be criticized. You're going to have haters. You're going to have trolls. Uh, and, and you just, and it's going to suck. It's going to like the first time it happens, it's going to ruin your day. Um, it's going to like, you're going to, you're going to question your confidence. You're going to like, it's, it's going to really suck. Yeah. But as it happens more, you, you get used to it. Like you, and especially the more successful you get, like this is the weird thing is the more successful you get, the more haters you get. And yeah. so the, 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 the percentage of hate never changes. It's just like, you know, if when I had a hundred readers, like one of them would hate on me. And then it's like, now I have a million readers. And so a thousand of them hate on me, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> and yeah. so you would yeah. think that that thousand would feel much worse than the one, but it doesn't. It's yeah. like, it feels exactly the same. So yeah. you, you just get used to it after a while. You can't please everybody. A hundred percent. Now you have an article on, um, on your site that talk about creativity. Yeah. And what I've, I resonated with this because it's, there's something it's like after you see a certain amount of success, it's, it gets the creative career gets harder and harder because you, yeah. you're like, you're so much more critical on yourself. Yeah. Of like the, the standard of the quality. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Like gr growing yourself from where you're at now, especially cause subtle art blew up and now you're on to the next project. Yeah. It, f it fucks with your head. Like I, one thing I think that happens when you start out, and if, and it's very useful and it feels very good is like when you start, when you start out, you want every new project to be more successful than the last or to be better or, or explore some new idea. Like you want there to be development, mm -hmm. you know, this, this like kind of upwards curve. And when you're starting out, it's pretty easy to do that. Um, or it's much easier to do that. I should say, um, 
none of this is ever easy, but <laughs> there comes a point where it's like keeping that upward trajectory going mm-hmm. becomes extremely difficult. You know, it, it's, if you think about somebody like, you know, the Beatles or Metallica or something, it's like, how do you keep, how do you go up from there? Like everybody kind of complains like, oh, Metallica got crappy in the nineties. Like, of course they did. They, <laughs> they sold like a hundred million albums. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you can't sustain that forever yeah. like you have to go somewhere else um otherwise like you have to reinvent yourself and so i think the game kind of changes once you start getting into those higher levels of success the game changes because it's it, there's just simply no trajectory left yeah there's nowhere above you left to go like to sell more books than subtle art would literally require like one of the best selling books of all time Right. And, and which is just <laughs> not going to happen. Like, I'm going to be really honest with like, it's not going to happen. And so it's been fucking with my head coming to terms with that, yeah. knowing that whatever my next book is, it's probably not going to do this well. Yeah. And, you know, on one level, that's fine. Like, I don't need commercial validation to like tell me I'm doing a good job. But on the other hand, there's something that's like bums me out about that. Yeah. You know, because there's, there's like it's hard to you know there's something exciting there like that potential is no longer there yeah you know of like besting the last thing i did or like getting more (laughs) accolades or whatever like it's just it's over and so um i think that it's been i've had to spend some time kind of getting my head straight about like yeah why i'm doing this why i'm gonna why am i going to do the next book like you know finding finding um Finding those new trajectories, you know, finding something else to try to outdo myself with. Yeah. Instead of just like popularity or book sales or whatever. Yeah. But maybe people, I think, not that you have to top it, but maybe there's, you know, I think, especially with a lot of bands, if you really like a band, you almost like whatever they put out at yeah. a certain point. So yeah. I think there's there's some merit to that. Who knows? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. It's more just like, like one way I described it to to a friend who's also an author recently is I said like look like in my head right I had to I'm I was like I'm gonna be an author for like the next forty years and I'm probably gonna write ten fifteen books and over the course of those forty years I hope to accomplish the following like you know sell at least a million books and be a New York Times bestseller and you know yada 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 yeah. um. Subtle art basically accomplished all those things in like six months. And so, and so I like, I literally had like, I freaked out this year and I was like, well, now what do I have to look forward to? (laughs) (laughs) Like now what do I work towards? And, um, and, and it was, it was a real mind fuck. It really was like, it was, and, and I told my friend, I said like, I think I needed time to actually like grieve the loss of my dreams. Like, interesting the dreams happened and it was amazing and i celebrated and i felt great um but then there was like there were a few months there of like sadness yeah like sadness and and just lack of motivation because it's mm-hmm. like my dreams are gone <laughs> like they're like i they're literally all gone because they all happened and yeah. so like i have to i need time to like find new dreams yeah and 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 create different types of dreams now um and so I feel like I'm I'm just now getting to a place where I'm I'm starting to do that and and sure enough the excitement the right came back cool. as soon as I started doing that yeah yeah so you have a new book project coming yeah I mean like, it's too early like I'm literally I literally just finished the outline <laughs> so it's like super early um, and the nice thing too and the nice thing about the success of subtle art is that it's basically bought me tons of time. You know, so there's no like, no, no, no publisher is going to be like, hey, you agreed to a May 1st deadline. Right. You know, it's like they're going to put out whatever I, I create. So um, I've I've earned a, a spot of luxury in the publishing industry <laughs> where I can basically just do whatever I want to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm taking time with the new the new book and, and I really want to do. I want to, I guess the, the trajectory, the next level that I want to reach with the next book is more, I want to make it, uh, hit the next level, I guess, like intellectually or like philosophically, like, like make it, make it a much more like 
involved in and deeper book i guess than subtle art yeah yeah i love that yeah is there any topics that you think need that the culture needs to shift on or just like that you could you that would shift culture in a certain sense of where we're at today um you know it's funny that was a big motivation for subtle art um i really thought somebody needed to like put a knife into the back of the whole positivity thing yeah um and like the unrealistic standards for like positivity in life and, and happiness um and so that was a big that was a big motivation for subtle art with this one i don't know if there's like a big cultural like you know this is what the world needs this time it, it this one it's more um it started out as kind of a, a book about relationships um and not just intimate relationships but just like relationships yeah. in general um but it's since gotten much more broad than that um and i so i think it's more timeless in that sense yeah. like it's not subtle art was very much written for a moment like yeah. i i do think the concepts in subtle art will last for a long time but it was also written for a moment this one i think is just more like yeah love that yeah cool so a couple quick questions before we wrap up do you have a morning routine <laughs> A really bad one. Um, <laughs> it's literally wake up. I usually don't have an alarm, but I usually end up up around nine. Um, drink a Red Bull and read a book. <laughs> Red Bull. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love caffeine. Like I'm a caffeine fiend, but I hate coffee and I hate tea. All right. So, and I tried pills, but like it's, it's not the same. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, sugar-free Red Bull and read a book for an hour, uh, and then I like, and then I start I start working. Nice, nice. What what would be your top three book recommends at the moment? At the moment, so the one I'm reading right now, um, which is probably having a bad influence on me because it makes me want to write like an 800 page book. Um, <laughs> it's it's a book called Go, uh, Godel Escher and Bach. It's like a, it's like a, it's it was written by, it's one of like the first books about like artificial intelligence. It was written in like the seventies. Oh, really? Um, but it's, ba it's, it's basically, the book is basically looking at how our brain creates meaning mm. period. Um, and, and, and how, how would you like create a computer that could create meaning for itself? Wow. Yeah. And Sounds it's fascinating, but it's, it's written in a really fun way. So like he uses, uh, Bach, the music composer, Escher, the the Ilsh, the artist, and then uh, Godel, the mathematician, as kind of like he uses their work as like uh, examples, but also like metaphors yeah. for a lot of the concepts he talks about. And it's like 800 pages and super nerdy and philosophical, and so I'm happy. Um, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what else am I reading right now? What What have I read or overall? Yeah, what have I read recently? So, Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. It's the book that I talk about in the last chapter of Subtle Art. That's an all-time favorite. And then, uh, I guess I'll say Sapiens by Harari, just Ooh, because one. because everybody says Sapiens. It's like the cool thing to do now. So, <laughs> it's so Sapiens. It's so Sapiens. <laughs> it's so 2016. It's such a brilliant book, though. It is. It's fantastic. I mean, it, it it's becoming like recommending sapien is is like becoming a cliche <laughs> but like it is for a reason it's because everybody's recommending it all the time totally yeah totally. <laughs> well worth it well yeah. worth it so one last question i love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you live inspiration i would say it, it basically means just feeling an enthusiastic commitment to whatever you're doing or working on or the Ooh. people you're with Love that. Yeah. Love that. Uh, so where can people find you on the interwebs? Markmanson.net and then Facebook slash Markmanson.net, one word. Um, but don't message me because I'm trying to quit Facebook. <laughs> quit, quit the, quit I'm the addiction. I'm trying to quit you, Facebook. <laughs> so hard. It's like a song. <laughs> yeah, it's like a song. Somebody should do that. Somebody should totally do that. Love it. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming out, making the time, and just acknowledge you for what you're putting out in the world. Love Appreciate it. it. Yeah.
Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with Mark Manson. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes and sharing it with your friends and sharing the love, helping others out in their creative journeys. And we'd love it if you'd also go and join the community, join other creatives in the journey as well over at neonlife.com slash community and also jump on over to neonlife.com slash quiz and take the test and we'll send you some prescribed content to help you out in your creative journey. And with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment and we'll see you next time.